Hi, I'm Jago Wynn, and welcome to the HTC Daily Podcast. We as a church are meeting daily on Zoom to speak to God in prayer and to hear from God in the Bible. For those of you who can't join us live or who want to listen again, we're featuring the Daily Bible Thought as we journey through Matthew's Gospel in the first part of 2021, and we're also including how we're being encouraged to pray each day. Today, it's Melanie Searle. So today's passage is Matthew 14, verses 1 to 12. And this is the infamous passage where John the Baptist is beheaded. The previous chapter ended with a brief section describing how Jesus comes to his hometown, teaches in the synagogue, but does not do many miracles there because the people were unable to see past the young boy they once knew and recognise the power and authority of God. At this point, Matthew introduces Herod into the narrative. Herod has heard the reports of Jesus' teaching and miracles and declares that it is John the Baptist risen from the dead. And so Matthew goes back and recounts the events of John's death. I'm going to start reading from verse 3. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. It's a familiar story to most of us. Herod has married his brother's wife. John has spoken out against it and Herod throws him in prison. Herodias seizes an opportunity to trap Herod in public and forces him to have John beheaded. What stands out to me most in this passage is the extent to which Herod was controlled by public opinion of him. Verse 5 says, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. And then verse 9 and 10, the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that request be granted. Herod imprisons John because he's afraid of what people will say and do. Herod has John beheaded because he is afraid of what people will say and do. Herod cares very much what people think about him. In fact, other people's opinions have not only shaped the way he thinks, but the way he acts. One might say his identity, his self-worth, is rooted in the approval of others, the fear of man. And doesn't this remain a relevant issue for us today, especially in a culture of social media where liking, following and trolling are a part of our daily life? We face pressure at work. Performance management tries to tell us that we are only as good as our last appraisal. As I reflected on how this fear of man plays out in my own life, 
I was hit by the irony that I was struggling with it in the process of writing this Bible talk, needing it to be perfect, clear, for people to say, that was amazing, that really spoke to me. If I don't get this just right, people will think less of me. I'm not worthy to speak. I wonder, where do you see this in your own life? So what is the antidote to the fear of man? How do we escape it? We embrace the fear of God. We seek God's approval over the approval of people. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. We trust in the Lord. We trust his character. We trust his word. We trust his promises to us. We choose to believe what God says about us more than anyone else. This is so important because belief drives behavior. In Proverbs 23 verse 7, it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And I've seen this time and time again in children over the course of my teaching career. They believe they can't do something, so they're reluctant to try. Change the belief and you change the behaviour. Instead of class rules, my four and five-year-olds now learn and declare statements of identity. We use kind hands and feet because we are gentle. We use kind words to each other because we are loving. This is who we are because this is who God says we are. Do we know what God says about us? Do we believe it? Here are three verses that I have been speaking over myself for a while. My prayers are powerful and effective. God richly supplies all my needs. In Jesus, I am 100% loved and worthy to receive all of God's blessings. Saying them and knowing them in our mind is one thing. Can we say that we truly believe them in our heart to the extent that our behaviour demonstrates it? In my experience, this can feel a little bit clunky to start with. I don't feel that my prayers are powerful and effective at all. Can I really say that? But it's a bit like wearing a new pair of shoes or trousers. It feels different, awkward. But after we've worn it for a while, it starts to feel familiar and we begin to own it. So let's put on the truth in God's word. Let's wear it regularly until it's ours. There is a battle for our identity. Will we let the world, others, things tell us who we are? Will we let these things validate us? Or will we gaze intently at the one who created us? The one who loves us and knows us perfectly and completely. As we enter the season of Lent, I invite you to consider a different kind of fast. A fast from beliefs that are not in line with what God says, either about him, yourself or others. Instead, why not feast on the truth in God's word? If you like, look into your wardrobe and ask Holy Spirit to show you something that doesn't belong in there anymore. A lie about yourself, maybe. Ask him to reveal a new truth. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Declare it. 
until it makes that 18 inch journey from head to heart. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen. And just before we move into a time of prayer, let's just take a few moments of silence just to ask Holy Spirit to speak to us and to reveal something in our wardrobe, if that picture works for you, of a lie maybe that just needs to leave now. And let's also ask the Lord to give us something in return, a truth that he wants us to start believing. So let's just take a moment now. And I invite you over the course of Lent to do that as a regular practice. Just invite Holy Spirit to continue to show you what things you're believing about yourself and him and others that are not true, but to reveal the truth to him, to you. And so as we move into prayer, um, I had three ideas of things we could pray for. First of all, for ourselves, that we would look intently into the word, as it says in James 1, and that we would choose to agree with what God, who God says we are. It's easy to think it, but actually, do we live it? And then praying for others. As the people of God, we have that opportunity to speak truth to other people and to remind them who they are. Just like Jamie was talking about on Sunday, we ha- let's consider how we can encourage and love one another with the truth that God gives us. And then for the world, Tim was talking two Sundays ago about us being salt and light and living distinctively as children of God. And so let's pray that our testimony or the transforming power of God's word in our lives would be like salt and light to the world and to those who don't yet know him.